So I love the lectionary combo this week. We're in a series, I think week three, I think of our Becoming series, a series on relationships. But I went with the lectionary this week as well because I really love the combination. So we begin in Isaiah where God essentially says, your religious rituals mean nothing to me if you aren't doing good. So do justice the oppressed speak for the most vulnerable in society and then we move into this gospel reading where god uses a religious outsider to see this same kind of work done so listen to these words from luke chapter 19 this is the first 10 verses he entered jericho and was passing through it a man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. We hear the voice of God in these words. Okay, so this reading gives yet another example of Jesus and his radically inclusive ways, right? And lest we forget that his mercy extends to absolutely everyone, Jesus extends it to Zacchaeus, a man who is wealthy and powerful, a man whose job, by all accounts, is to collaborate with Rome in the oppression. Unless we forget that conversion is an active thing, this same rich and powerful man who overtaxes others in order to make his living gives up half his possessions, commits to righting his wrongs, and becomes a follower of Jesus. He lives into the words of our Isaiah reading, and Jesus says in response to it, today salvation has come to this house. And I actually have a really simple theological definition for salvation. I define it as new life. It is any movement toward God, toward our center. And I think Jesus embodied what it looks like to extend salvation, so new life, to others through his radical love agenda. And the life of Jesus, teachings like this one that, that I just read, inspire all of us to extend new life as well. I think that's what we're doing as people of faith. Spirit is compelling us to this Christ work. But Christ work is not just radically loving work. If it's going to be radically loving, it also has to be radically inclusive. 
Like, we have to work together with each other to see the kingdom work fulfilled. And well, gosh darn it, sometimes it's the rich, arrogant dude that gets on our nerves who needs the mercy. And this story is telling us that Jesus loves and includes that person. And it's also telling us that any kind of person is capable of goodness and capable of change and of movement toward the center, which is to say salvation. So do any of you remember being in school and getting assigned projects according to who you were sitting next to or maybe like who, who your name was closest to in the alphabet? And the teacher would say, okay, get with your neighbor and do this do this project, it's do whenever. And it didn't matter if you liked that person, and it didn't matter if you had anything at all in common with them, you had to work together toward a common end goal with your neighbor. And your failures were the same, and your successes were the same, and your grade was counted as one. (laughs) In today's story, we learn right off the bat that Zacchaeus was a wealthy guy, and he had stuff that he needed to share. I'm sure Zacchaeus ended up really, really useful to the ministry of Jesus because of his resources. But Zacchaeus also had his own set of needs. We know for sure that he needed help seeing. And all his money and all his power and esteem combined couldn't buy the kind of seeing that Zacchaeus needed to do. And so when I read this story, I like to think that somebody must have given him a heads up about this teacher, Jesus, who was coming to town. And I like to imagine that another person ran ahead of the crowd, carving a path toward new life, showing Zacchaeus a way out of mediocrity or harmful habits or whatever had him bound. And surely a whole group of people made room for Zacchaeus along his way, granting him the space he needed to get to where he needed to be. And maybe someone even offered him a lift in climbing up that tree. What I'm trying to say is that I highlight that Zacchaeus got to the point he was at in today's reading in which Jesus is in his direct line of vision, I highly doubt he got there alone. Surely people in his vicinity, with or without realizing it, with or without even liking him, gave him the boost he needed. We read his story today, but I would bet that countless people played a part in shaping it in Zacchaeus becoming the kind of man who would give half of all he had to the poor. And I wonder, do you ever think about the people you may have boosted up or who you could boost up in future simply by being a neighbor to them? Remember, via the Good Samaritan story, a neighbor is anyone in our line of vision who is in need of mercy. And do you ever think about the person you are today, the things you've been able to do, accomplish the opportunities you've had, or the times when you were at your wit's end and didn't know how you were going to make it, but then somehow you survived? And do you ever think about these things and their correlation with community? Because the truth is we need each other. The truth is we are 
better together. The truth is Christ has no body but ours. We are one. And isn't this oneness easy to digest when we are here together in this room with our chosen community or with close friends or even family in which our blood or love connects us? But neighbor or perhaps acquaintance is more difficult, right? Especially because our understanding of neighbor has evolved and expanded in our time. There is so much more in our line of vision these days. And our scope of understanding of those who are in need of mercy is so much wider than ever before. And as we continue to learn about the depth of what is required of us based on scripture, we are simultaneously waking up to the realities and complexities and intersections of neighbor in our world thanks to social media and the never-ending flow of information coming to us through the computers we carry around in our pockets all day long. What's ironic is that our understanding of neighbor is deepening and widening, and at the same time, many of us don't actually know our literal neighbors who live next to us. I know there are exceptions to this rule. I've seen it in this community and in my family, but for many of us, we don't have a deep sense of community among our neighbors. We might know their names, a little bit about them, but we don't know their needs or their deepest struggles or their joys, and we might like to, but life gets crazy, right? And we don't always have time or room in our lives for more relationships. And I wonder if there is a correlation between this and the fact that we don't actually need our neighbors to survive or thrive. Because when I think about some of the instances of deep community I've witnessed among entire neighborhoods, it has most often been among marginalized communities who genuinely need one another to figure out childcare, mentoring, elderly care, or getting food on the table. And I've also noticed this in clusters of my own larger neighborhood where there's a lot of people from India, where cultural contacts are more collective by nature. But I look around overall, and this is not the norm for a lot of us. For those of us who have garages or backyards <laughs> or an inherently individualistic mode of operating like pretty much all of us have just from being from the United States, we can come or go without ever even interacting with our neighbors at all. We drive outside our neighborhoods to go to work, to share in our like-minded community, to take our kids to extracurriculars or sometimes school. And social media has been good to us because it has helped us discover some of these meaningful connections that more readily feed our souls. And it's also been really, really important in to the larger sense of the word neighbor, as I mentioned before, so we can advocate for compassionate immigration reform for the sake of our neighbors at the border and Juarez. Or we can send money for food and supplies directly to the Kurdish people in Syria. Social media has put these vulnerable people in need of mercy in our direct line of vision and our responsibility to do the Christ work of justice and equity is more urgent every day. And at the same time, the way we treat each other on social media makes us more suspicious of our actual neighbors and acquaintances, right? <laughs> because we don't want to deal with people if they aren't like us. 
or if they don't believe how we believe, and we don't really have to if we don't want to, right? So when you think of it this way, of course, the relationship with our literal neighbors would be the first ones to go because we are now able to cut out of our lives what was once a necessity for community in eras past. And what I fear is that, whether intentionally or not, we are missing out on so many divine lessons and opportunities for growth because when we can so carefully curate who we interact with, we forget how to show mercy to people who are very different from us. But our actual neighbors, the person that lives on either side of you, across the street, down the road, these are the perfect training grounds and including and providing simply because they're our neighbors and even though we don't have to, even though we could opt out of each other's lives, we invest anyway without conditions. We practice what it means to be neighbor with our actual neighbors. Radical, I know. We use our daily face-to-face interactions with people in our lives who we consistently see but maybe interact with but don't really know to remind ourselves that even though we come from various places, even though we hold conflicting views or have unfamiliar stories to each other or experiences from one another, we can still show up when the other might need it. We can still share laughs or break bread. We can collaborate to build a better world. Remembering the words of neighboring expert Mr. Rogers, we are infinitely related. Now here's the part where I struggle with this, and it's the very practical part of feeling like I just don't have the bandwidth for it. Trying to figure out how to be in relationship with a whole community is tricky. It's tricky here, in this sacred community. So why wouldn't it be tricky in our actual neighborhoods? I don't have answers for you. One, because I never do, right? And two, because I realize we're all living literally in different cities. Like, I don't know how many cities are in this room, but there's a lot, and we're all in different contexts. But I have a very simple mindset, just a little nugget of helpfulness that I hope is practical for you to consider as you process this teaching and think about your relationship with your neighbors. And my suggestion is this, that our relationship with our literal neighbors is not about being deeply invested, but it is about being mindfully invested. So it's not about putting a ton of time or a ton of energy, although if you do that, more power to you, and please let me know how you do it. But it's not necessarily about that, but it is about being mindful and attentive to the bodies who are living and moving and breathing in your vicinity. So the people that you consistently come into contact with, and maybe that's not even in your neighborhood. Maybe it's at the post office or the grocery store or wherever. What needs might you notice or mindful with these interactions? What random facts might you learn? What opportunities may arise? What vision for community might form within your spirit when your intention with neighbor becomes more mindful. I believe this mindful posture will lead to deeper roots in all of our neighborhoods, and I don't believe it requires much energy 
to do it. And it doesn't require you having a house. You could live in an apartment complex or a duplex or a townhome. None of that matters. We all have neighbors. So I don't believe it requires a lot of time, necessarily, but I do believe this. I believe we need each other. I believe we're all better. I believe that Christ has no body but ours. And as I consider how this fits with the fact that we observed both All Saints Day and Dia de los Muertos this week, I am reminded of our oneness more than ever with our family and friends and church, yes, but also with our next door neighbors or our neighbors in need of mercy across the world. And with all the saints from ages past, we are surrounded constantly by a great cloud of witnesses. So to paraphrase that beautiful passage from Hebrews 12, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin that would cling closely and let us run with perseverance the race before us and let us look to Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, Let us not grow weary or lose heart. All of us, every one of us together as one, we are children of God. So pray with me. God, for all the people, past and present, who have lives and who continue to shape them, we give thanks. And for our neighbors, those sources of possible untapped beauty in our lives. We pray blessings over them. We give gratitude for them. Amen.